0: Long ago, a dove dropped a freshly plucked olive branch into Noah's hand. The earth emerged from the raging floods, and God set the sign of God's covenant in the sky, a rainbow. Never again would God destroy all of life. In vibrant inks, That dove and rainbow surround you on pledge cards scattered around the sanctuary. On the second Sunday of our stewardship season, we hearken back. We remember God's covenant first made with our ancestors while looking forward and living into a new beginning as we continue to fulfill our call as disciples and as participants in building God's kingdom. Our journey, our journey into the future is paved with opportunities to celebrate God's provisions in our lives with gratitude, to respond to God's grace by giving of our own resources, and to embrace God's new economy where love and mercy are the building blocks of the kingdom of God. And so God calls us to be co-creators with God, and shaping that future, a future that is marked by long, bountiful tables, plentiful chairs, bread and cup, enough for all. It's why a table sits at the center of our worship where God is host. And this table, this table is not strictly an image of heaven. This table serves as a reminder that God intends for us to this future here and now, reflected in how we embrace each other in relationship and how we share of the abundance that God provides for us. And so we turn to that table scene in Luke's gospel, and we hear those words anew that Christ said on his last night, this is my body given for you, This cup is a sign of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. So from Luke 22. Now the festival of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was near. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers of the temple police about how he might betray him to them. They were greatly pleased and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began to look for an opportunity to betray him to them when no crowd was present. We're going to move ahead to verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of God is going as it has been determined, but woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How we use our money matters. In our Western American culture, We don't particularly like talking about money, at least in polite company, yet money may be the most constructive and destructive material thing in this world. We know that money influences untold numbers of things in our lives, including our faith and our relationship to it, and our relationships with others. We pastors often dread talking about money because it is uncomfortable. It's tense, it's sticky, and we know that for many of us, our wallets are slimmer than we desire and the bills keep stacking up. I'll admit in my own life, I feel like all I've been dealing with lately is money and insurance for the past four months after a huge tree fell on my property causing unfortunate damage. It's okay, but it's still a hassle. My 17-year-old car gives me stress. The holidays are coming, and of course, gifts are to be bought. I'm not saying anything that is foreign to you. Yet Jesus addressed money in Scripture more than faith or prayer, which speaks to our lives here and now. Just as we put faith in God for our spiritual needs, God works in our material needs as well. And so the tension that we might feel about this subject reflects us, redirects us to God's story and how our lives and resources reflect that divine story. And so think on this, how do we need to reevaluate our own relationships with money? Does how we spend our money reflect our faith in God? And yet always, God's word on how we use our resources and money is always liberating. It's always inviting and transformative, which is God's money story. And so we turn to the scripture where Judas Iscariot gets stuck, stuck in this destructive story of money, which may be all too familiar to some of us. Rather than engage in relationship with Christ, he yields to his desires for silver and betrays Jesus to the religious authorities seeking to kill him. They capture his attention with money and arrest, torture, and death follow Jesus' act. It's a hard piece of scripture that instigates Jesus' road to the cross. And the scripture probably isn't the one that comes to mind when we think of stewardship and money. If you're like me, you want to skip ahead of Judas's betrayal and focus on that powerful scene where Jesus invites us to taste and see God's new covenant at the table. But it means something that these two stories flank each other, should speak to us and remind us of the world story that is too often caught up in fear, scarcity, and despair, when we as people of faith are invited to embrace God's story of abundance and mercy. So in this instance, money distorts Judas's view. It narrows his view, his vision. It breaks relationships, and it causes death. The Reverend Mika Vandersall writes, This is a story that has both a beginning and an ending. A story where in the beginning, the money story is one of monetizing fear and corruption, juxtaposed with the ending one in which a meal is shared, where Jesus gives wine and bread, and there is enough for all. Jesus' act in sharing around the table sets him apart, The rest partake as he awaits a new economy that he bids us to bring forth, remembering the kingdom of God that is yet to come. Our invitation to embrace this new economy that Jesus initiates robs money of its destructive power and rewrites its story into one where abundance is for all of God's people and relationships are the ultimate currency. It points to the kingdom that God intends and away from the pit of despair that too often we know. And so what does Jesus do? He takes a meal, he divides it, he shares it with those around him. There's enough to go around the table, even if there are more people, because there's always plenty. He shows us that the new economy that God desires for us where God's provisions renew and transform and build strong communities. Our response is not, however, to give up on money. We can't do that. But we look to see how God's transformative grace to renew it can bring something that is life-giving and dismantles hardship and oppression. Jesus himself was a poor man, probably homeless and illiterate, but his currency and power was found beyond the earthly riches and silver coins. His currency was spent showing us healing broken bodies and minds, elevating the voiceless, dining with outcasts, and feeding thousands with but a few fish and loaves. His alternative to the world's system of economics was powerful. So powerful, in fact, that it got the attention of those who recognized that if they didn't thwart him, something else was going to take place and they were going to lose their power. Scholar Walter Brueggemann writes, Jesus was commending and performing an economy that was sure to collide with established economic patterns and with those who presided over and benefited from such patterns. His term for the alternative economy was kingdom of God. That is a social practice and a set of social relationships that are congruent with the God of the covenantal Torah of ancient Israel. So this is why we look back to the covenants of old that God first established to be reminded of God's acts of abundance that were present from the very beginning. God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness even when they worshipped other gods and screwed up time and time again. God provided a dynasty for King David even when his family and he sinned and forgot God time and time again. Knowing the path Judas was on, we remember how Christ still invited him to that table to witness the new covenant. Judas shared in that meal. He was welcome and provided for. Despite the stories of desperation and deep betrayal, we are still given God's gift of provision we are still invited to partake at the holy meal where Christ beckons us to taste and remember. And in our remembering how God transformed death, we receive a foretaste of that kingdom that God intends. And so, this is the new economy that Christ establishes through the table and through resurrection, the kingdom that Jesus invites us to create together in the world today. We are disciples of Christ. We are kingdom builders alongside Christ, ready to serve as he first served us. And so what does kingdom building look like for us at First Presbyterian Church? How has our money, our resources served in real ways. In August, during the kickoff to our Worshipful Wednesday season, we raised over $2,000 for the foyer, the low-barrier shelter, in the old Salvation Army building across from CARM. This shelter allows folks experiencing homelessness with special needs to provide them with a, with a safe place to sleep. Our annual Pentecost offering is being given to Austin East High School, just two miles from here, after their traumatic year of multiple deaths of students by gun violence. We have given $4,000 to the Congo Leadership Initiative, a ministry we support that trains young Congolese men and women in leadership and entrepreneurial skills that helps them start their own businesses. The funds we give to the Volunteer Ministry Center, the downtown ministry that helps prevent and alleviate homelessness, is building 48 new supportive housing units in East Knoxville, only a mile from here. Supportive housing is typically for folks that have been living on the streets or in severe poverty and are supported by case managers. It's remarkable the ways in which We are able to give. These are just a few ways that our church has responded to God's call to embrace God's new economy and build the kingdom among us now. Our work doesn't stop. We know this. Money is not the answer to everything. Money and resources are certainly powerful. But it is in our relationship building that transformation takes place. This is what Jesus showed us at the table, even knowing it was his last meal with his disciples. And so we are situated in such a unique place in downtown Knoxville, surrounded by diverse people and businesses. And as this pandemic comes to a close, we pray, and we welcome our new senior pastor. How do our new beginnings embrace this calling to share of our abundance, to embrace our community, the potential relationships that are around us, the call to invite long-missed members back and to open our table to all, especially to the lost. How do we boldly welcome Judas to our table? How do we extend our bread to those who hunger, And how do we give generously, trusting that God will use our gifts to build God's kingdom here on earth now? Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you that long ago at a table, you bid us come and taste and see the kingdom that you intend for all of us. And then you sent us out into the world and said, go and welcome all. Tell all of the good news that I will meet them at this table. And so God, as we encounter a new time in our congregation, help us embrace anew that call to extend that new covenant in Jesus Christ to all. We ask this in your name. Amen.